0: The Week in Doubt, religious news stories from a skeptical perspective, random musings on everything from pop culture to politics, and even audio documentaries on weird and interesting topics like Krampus and the history of the holidays. The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, and before we begin, as promised, here's 10 more Facebook shoutouts. Okay, so let's see. Hopefully there's no repeats in here. Uh, we have Mike Berry, Bruce Sellhausen, Frank Gallagher, Gary Wayne Boyer, Jeff Gorab, Kelly Dees, Nick Hovard. And Nick has a very interesting profile pic. It looks like two skinless people making out. And as, as a... Uh Uh, A devout Clive Barker fan. Uh, It kind of reminds me of the Hellbound Heart, Hellraiser. So, uh, cheers. Okay. Uh, Kevin Gobile, or Gobiel. uh, Jamie Tomas, or Thomas. And Ken Bradshaw. And so as usual, I think that was 10. (laughs) And uh, do my best to walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, Read all those names and uh, do that difficult math in my head. And... I'd also like to give a very, very special shout-out to Daniel Noonan for becoming a Patreon supporter. And not only did they become a patron, but they made the very generous pledge of $10, and that just blows me away. So thank you so much. Uh, I'm almost uncharacteristically speechless, and I imagine this may have something to do with the kind of brazen appeal I made in last week's episode, where, paraphrasing myself, I pretty much said I was done beating around the bush, I was just coming right out and saying, guys, I really want to make a living as a content creator, I am tired of swinging a hammer and sweating and bleeding for a living. And I know a common criticism of content creators, especially on YouTube for some reason, is, hey, why don't you get a quote-unquote real job instead of expecting people to pay you for recording yourself, you know? And even though I'm someone who's held one of those quote-unquote real jobs for at least 20 years, I'm still very sympathetic to content creators because I know how much time and effort goes into creating content and what a labor of love it is. And to me, anything you can do to legally earn enough money to support yourself is a quote-unquote real job. But I guess the point I'm making concerning myself is, hey, either way, I've paid my dues. (laughs) I worked a crappy uh, warehouse-slash-retail job right out of high school, uh, and then I went into The family construction business, where I'm still stuck. Uh, I'll put stuck in quotes. You know, it's really my fault. I haven't gotten myself out of there. Uh, That's something I need to discuss with a therapist uh, or with you guys, but it'll it'll probably be like a two-hour special episode. Point being, once again, I think I've done enough quote-unquote real work. (laughs) Kidding, of course. I already explained that I think being a content creator is real work, but I think hey, let me do what I love now and support me on Patreon. Uh, I'm not going to be shy about it anymore. And if you're one of those people who refuses to use Patreon out of principle, you can also pay me via PayPal. (laughs) Just go to Podbean. Uh, That's where I host the feed for this show. Go to Podbean. Look for the Weekend Out podcast podcast. Scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you should see a PayPal widget. There's all that alliteration. Feels strange implementing it at the beginning rather than the end of the the show. Uh, But hopefully you'll see that PayPal widget at the bottom, and you can use that to donate to the show via PayPal. But enough shilling. (laughs) I was just looking for an ambulance noise in my loops, but... Probably, uh, lucky for you guys, I couldn't find one. That probably would have been terribly annoying. I was going to use it for a, a kind of medical update segment. Isn't that annoying? I think there's a couple of raucous, like, heavy metal songs I like that have ambulance or police siren noises embedded in them, and I'll be driving down the highway and no matter how many times I listen to the song, I'm always like, oh, crap, do I have to pull over? Oh, should I slow down? I'm like, oh, it's the damn song. I think there's a Marilyn Manson song like that. I think there's also a Wayne Static or a Static X song like that, too. And pardon the sudden ambient noise. All of a sudden, there's torrential downpours here in New England. New England summer, man. It's always a little... Well, New England in general is always a little crazy weather-wise. Hopefully it doesn't overpower my voice. But the medical update uh, I was going to talk about, a personal medical update. So I recently had a neurology appointment. I had made the appointment a long time ago, and it finally came to pass. Uh, I believe it was this past Wednesday. Holy crap, Is that rain loud. So this was a neurologist I'd never seen before, and if you're new to the show... All my regular listeners have probably heard this spiel before. Uh, I've been suffering from chronic migraines since about my late teens or early 20s. Been on antidepressants for them for, you know, just about as long. And so this was interesting. So this neurologist suggested trying something other than antidepressants for the headaches and seeing if this might allow me to taper off of the antidepressants uh, to some degree if not completely and to be honest i had mixed feelings about the idea on the one hand this is something that i've kind of dreamt about for a long time you know trying to find or hopefully finding an effective treatment for my migraines that didn't come with some of the annoying side effects of antidepressants but on the other hand, I know some of the non-antidepressant medications they use to treat migraines are pretty heavy duty and can come with their own kind of scary side effects. For instance, the, the medication she decided to try is, uh, I believe the generic name is Topiramate, I think it is. The, one of the popular brand names is Topamax, I think. And it's traditionally an anti-convulsant, an anti-seizure medicine. And I've heard that it it can mess up your vision, perhaps permanently. It can cause kidney stones, all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, oh man, oh my God, who I don't believe in. You know, is this just the usual stuff? You know, every medication comes with a scary list of potential side effects, but usually you don't really have to worry. I'm like, is it that or do I really have to worry? So it's my second day on this crap. I have to take my dose at night, which probably makes sense. And I wonder if that's because it has the potential to make you drowsy, but I wake up just really tired, like just wanting to go right back to bed. And uh, mouth as dry as the Sahara, very annoying. I've been losing a lot of weight, but now I find I just want to like eat and drink just to get the dry taste out of my mouth. Uh, And and it just, it feels like someone shot my head up with Novocaine, which is kind of good and bad, kind of a nice high feeling. But (laughs) Uh, so we'll see what happens with all that. And one more thing on that, I I know when I first realized it was giving me dry mouth, I'm like, oh, this will be great for the show. I already, you know, my two favorite things in the world are singing and podcasting. And I'm like, oh, this will be great for both of those. I I already sound like an 80 year old chain smoker. (laughs) Um, And I still don't know why totally that people are always surprised when they find out I don't smoke. I think part of the reason why my voice sounds so gravelly is because of the inhaled steroids I take for my asthma. Uh, Inhaled steroids are notorious for causing uh, vocal side effects. And on top of that, I think I just have some bad vocal habits. And I think working with family kind of reinforces those. I'm a totally different person at work. You know, when I'm at work, I'm really kind of gruff and standoffish. I just kind of grunt and I don't really want to be there. And uh, so I'm sure that's not really great for my uh, for my voice either. But I care so much about singing and podcasting and I do a lot more podcasting than singing nowadays even though the guys in my band just started talking about actually going into the studio or re-recording some of our old songs. Uh, Just this past week, we started talking about it. But yeah, so at some point, I might actually see an air nose and throat guy, uh, maybe a vocal coach, probably both of those. We'll see what happens. But let's shift topics. So I know it's 10 minutes in and we haven't even really cracked the surface of the show. I don't know why that's why I'm cracking myself up. Uh, maybe it's uh, the uh, the Topamax. But um, but a bit more housekeeping to take care of. So YouTube viewers might be wondering why I haven't published any videos recently. Well, the week before last, I had fallen behind with the show in general. And then this past week, I was feeling so self-conscious about... What I found to be the somewhat questionable quality of episode 329, that I decided not to make a video version. I don't think it was necessarily terrible, and I still stand behind the points I made in the episode. But it was very long-winded, as I have a feeling this one's going to turn out to be rather long-winded too, based on the fact that, uh, you know, we're already uh, 11 minutes in and I haven't finished with the the quote-unquote housekeeping yet. But given the specific subject of the episode, it was a response to a video by YouTuber Computing Forever entitled Rediscovering My Faith, I knew I'd probably be bound to receive complaints from the less patient among the YouTube crowd. In general, people seem to like response videos to be kind of snappy and to the point. I know my own viewers probably would have been fairly forgiving. Um, But seems knowing how popular Computing Forever is, I probably would have been inundated with complaints about the meandering nature of my response from both his fans and detractors who are strangers to my channel. So that's why there was no YouTube video last week. If you're a YouTube viewer who doesn't mind my more long-winded episodes, you can still find the audio-only version of episode 329 in its entirety in the Weekendale Out podcast feed. Just go to iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, your podcast aggregator of choice, and uh, you should be able to find the show. And I'll just try to give a very, very brief recap of what my issue was with Computing Forever and his video, Rediscovering My Faith. So first of all, if a person wants to re-embrace Christianity or any other religion, and it gives them a sense of satisfaction or comfort or fulfillment, that's fine. You know, if I'm at a party and someone tells me they're a born-again Christian, they just rediscovered their faith, and, wow, it's, it's like a whole new lease on life for them. I'm not going to start tearing into them and, you know, trying to rip all that away from them. I mean, in all honesty, just between you and me, uh, I, it is one of my pet peeves, in a way, when I hear someone returns to religion Just because as someone who values logic, reason, empirical evidence, facts, I I always wonder, I'm, I'm like, did they have to engage in some kind of cognitive gymnastics? How did they rationalize it? Or were they just so hungry for some sense of meaning in their life that they were willing to suspend their disbelief and embrace this man-made dogma once again or whatever. Uh, so in my own head, yeah, if someone tells me they're a born-again Christian or whatever or that they used to be an atheist, now they're rel- I am going to be, there, there are going to be some questions floating around my head, you know, but I'm not going to ruin the person's night or try to tear away this newfound comfort from them, you know what I mean? But where I think it's all right to take the gloves off, as I've said before, is in the public forum of ideas. Uh, I think it's totally different when you have an atheist debating a theist at a public event. Uh, That's completely different than if you find out someone's religious at a dinner party or a get-together or something like that. You know, I mean... Uh, At a public event or in a public forum, I think you have a duty to the truth and a duty to all those who are listening or watching to be as honest and factual as possible and to try to point out the errors and contradictions and the weaknesses in your opponent's arguments. So if it gives Computing Forever the warm fuzzies to be a Christian again in his private life or whatever, that's fine. But when he gets on YouTube and starts talking as if we're living in this decadent Western dystopia brought about by the left and the cure or panacea for that is Christianity, then I'm going to have something to say. I'm going to have... take some issue with that, you know? So if you want to hear my long, drawn-out response to that, and yeah, I do meander and take these little side excursions and digressions and go into, you know, my own life and childhood, my own religious upbringing and stuff. Like I said, you can find that in the the audio-only podcast feed. So it looks like Richard Dawkins has a new book coming out, and this is from uh, Hemet Mehta's The Friendly Atheist. Richard Dawkins' latest book, Outgrowing God, A Beginner's Guide, is now available for pre-order. Think of it as The God Delusion, but for a teenage audience. It's not surprising for the author of a book that sold millions of copies to milk that cow and write a children's version. And he is, in fact, working on a similar book aimed at even younger children. It makes particular sense for Dawkins to do it since he said in The God Delusion, controversially, that pushing a religious label on children is a form of mental child abuse. The rhetoric was strong, but his point was sensible. He said the phrase, quote-unquote, Christian child or Muslim child was unfair to kids, Too young to understand those religions, they never subscribed to those beliefs, so why were parents foisting their faith upon them? It made as much sense as saying, this is my toddler, he's a Republican. So a book about atheism geared at people finally old enough to think for themselves is right in his wheelhouse. According to its description, Dawkins plans to answer some of the biggest stumbling blocks young people have when they first begin to doubt their parents' religion. Dawkins explains how the natural world arose without a designer, the improbability and beauty of the quote-unquote bottom-up programming that engineers an embryo or a flock of starlings, and challenges head-on some of the most basic assumptions made by the world's religions. Do you believe in God? Which one? Is the Bible a quote-unquote good book? Is adhering to a religion necessary, or even likely, to make people good to one another? Dissecting everything from Abraham's abuse of Isaac to the construction of a snowflake, outgrowing God is a concise, provocative guide to thinking for yourself. So it's funny, I I really like Dawkins. I'm still a a staunch Dawkins fan, and I really support him putting out this book, and I support the idea of trying to get young people to evaluate religion critically to think scientifically, think for themselves. But if I wanted to nitpick, I could find a couple little things in there to kind of, you know, pull apart. There is a lot of nasty stuff in the Old Testament, and I think uh, that stuff is particularly dangerous when people insist on interpreting it literally and and thinking that it's all right to do violence in the name of God, etc. And One of the stories that you'll often hear critics of religion bring up, uh, sometimes even in debates between theists and atheists, you'll hear it, is the story of Abraham and Isaac, the binding of Isaac. And at face value, it is a really horrifying or morally abhorrent story. Uh, both God and Abraham kind of come off as monsters. You have God ordering the murder or sacrifice of a child, and you have Abraham actually being willing to carry this out, uh, his hand being stayed at the last moment by the angel of the Lord. And if that was the only interpretation I, I had ever heard of the binding of Isaac, I'd probably look at it, with the same kind of disgust that I or moral disdain that I look at the slaughter of the uh, the Amalekites or the Midianites with but as I've discussed on the show a lot in the past I'm kind of a documentary junkie I especially was when I was younger and I can remember growing up being addicted to that series Mysteries of the Bible and religious documentaries in general and I used to love when they'd have David Volpeon, this uh, rabbi, David Volpe. And he's still active. You still see uh, him poke his head up every now and then. Uh, strangely enough, I think uh, Dave Rubin has had uh, David Volpe on. Or is it Wolpe? Maybe it's Wolpe. And uh, I believe um, Rabbi Wolpe and uh, Christopher Hitchens were friends, and they debated each other a couple of times. But he had this really interesting and insightful take on the story of Abraham and Isaac, and it always stuck with me. It's just very thought-provoking. And he was talking about how he believes the story is supposed to be a kind of metaphor or parable, emphasizing the shift away from actual human sacrifice to animal or figurative sacrifice. And as critical as I am of religion and the Bible, that actually makes a lot of sense to me in a way because even by biblical uh, standards, it's a very bizarre story and doesn't make a lot of sense on face value. But when you put it in that context, it's kind of a light bulb moment. Like, uh aha, that I mean, why else have... The angel saved the day at the last minute, and you know, this kind of takeaway that human sacrifice was not necessary in this situation. And I'm trying to think if it was also Rabbi Wolpe who brought up this kind of haunting point that just as writing, as a story, as good storytelling, this also leaves the question of. What was the relationship between Abraham and Isaac like after that? You know, when you think about it, things were probably never quite the same between those two characters. Imagine that kind of that tension. Knowing that your dad was willing to kill you, and then as a dad, the guilt of knowing that you were actually willing to and almost did kill your son. Once again, not saying I believe the story. I'm just saying as, as a story as fiction, as poignant storytelling, character development, whatever you want to call it. It's pretty, uh, it's powerful stuff to think about. And don't worry, I'm not growing all soft on religion. (laughs) There's still plenty of stuff in the Old Testament that I find quite distasteful and problematic. But I'm just saying, you know, uh, not all biblical stories are necessarily created equal, and you can have a kind of more sophisticated approach to certain stories. And the only other thing I might take a little bit of issue with, and once again, on Team Dawkins here, but when uh, quoting this article again, it says, Dawkins explains how the natural world arose without a designer. And I lean towards the side of scientific materialism. I think that most likely consciousness is an emergent property of the brain. I think those big questions about the universe that we wrestle with, that science has begun to formulate some answers to, you know, how can something come from nothing? Uh, what predated the initial hot dense state of the Big Bang or whatever? Um, I think most likely there are naturalistic explanations for that stuff, but we just have trouble wrapping our limited mammalian brains around that that stuff. You know, our brains are probably pretty much design, design's a loaded word, but you know I mean, shaped by evolution for survival, uh, not necessarily for figuring out um, the mysteries of the universe. So I think that's probably most likely right or accurate that the most likely the natural world did arise without without a designer. But end of the day, uh, it's fine to call me an atheist. I even refer to myself as an atheist at times. But if you uh, would have put a gun uh, to my head, wow, what a what a disturbing visual. Um, you know, I would say technically agnostic atheist. You know what I mean? Uh, so I don't think we, I still don't think we have all the answers um, and know exactly how, you know, I don't think we've exactly finished putting all the puzzle pieces together. But yeah, yeah, I could nitpick a little, but I think most likely that is the case, um, that the natural world did arise without a designer. I just don't know if I would necessarily go as far as to state it as definite fact. But this kind of segues nicely into the last clip I wanted to play. I was watching... A recent episode of Joe Rogan's podcast. And I think I've seen him interview this guy before. This guy, Reggie Watts. I I like when he's on the show, but I actually don't know much about him. I guess he's a a comedian slash musician. And they got a bit into this stuff, into, you know, the mysteries and origins of the universe. So maybe I'll play that now. It's like, let's
1: say the mushroom thing is true, right? So in essence, uh, humans became humans. With the uh, intervention, if you will, of a natural psychedelic substance, which then expanded the mind and enabled the growth of that mind, the acceleration of intelligence, self-awareness, like like light speed. Mm. And so, in essence, like God created man, or whatever, you know, like that idea. It's like, well, in in, in essence, it is the unit. If you think of God as the universe, or whatever, I. I I, that's one way of thinking of it. God, collective consciousness, whatever you want to call it, like that—that <laughs> that intervention or the the uh, ability to see or sense that expansiveness of that collective intelligence could be attributed to God. So therefore, you could say, "Well, I was never a blah." It's like, "Well, yeah, you are from that, but what created you was right. something more cosmic." So, and in, 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 if if that's even true, well, I was reading a quote today
2: from, that someone was mocking from Piers Morgan. We were talking about the you, like atheists and uh, not knowing what happened before the Big Bang, not knowing how, no, no one has any answer for what happened before the Big Bang, and about how this made sense to him, that um, this is, I think the way he was saying it was a, is somehow or another, it was evidence, or at least in his eyes, of something more superior. Oh, here it is. No it, it, Atheists can never say what was there before the Big Bang. They just say nothing. And they can't explain what nothing actually is. No human brain can, which is why I believe in something that has superior powers to the human
0: brain. Well, first of all, that's kind of oddly worded, superior powers to the human brain. If by that you mean a creator, a sentient creator god, then that's kind of a god of the gaps thing. Now you're going too far in the opposite direction for me. Uh, That's quite a leap. Just because you can't wrap your mind around something that there may be a naturalistic explanation for, you jump to supernatural creator. And let's say, for the sake of argument, there was some supernatural force or creator behind it all. It still doesn't tell you which god. It's still a hell of a long way from meaning that the Bible um, or Christianity or or any of the Earth's man-made religions are right. Well,
2: that makes sense that there's definitely things. Oh, Brian Cox went after his ass. What did Brian Cox say? If you mean the hot Big Bang, then there may be a period of rapid expansion known as inflation. This theory is able to account for the observed features of the universe, including including the CMB power spectrum and the flatness and horizon problems.
1: (laughs) I love it. Brian
2: Cox just came at him with the science. I love it. I know what he's trying uh, that's to how say. You do it. I know what he's trying to say. What Pierce Morgan is trying to say, and he, he's he's right. No one has an answer as to like why this thing became, why the Big Bang happened. It's a, there, yeah. there's, there's an interesting um, quote by this guy we were talking about. I forget who it was. I wish I could remember, but he was talking about how people how have, might have been McKenna have so much faith in science and so little faith in mystical things, but yet science revolves on one initial theory where magic took place, Mm -hmm. where everything came out of nothing, that it was smaller than the head of a pin. So so everything that you see in the observable universe, including Mm -hmm. planes, trains, and automobiles, all of it had to have had an origin in the most spectacular sorcery the
0: world has ever known. Okay, so I obviously find this problematic, and I'm actually a fan. Of Terence McKenna, I love uh, Terence McKenna is gone now, but I still love listening to his lectures. I have a couple of his books on my bookshelf. Uh, I just think he was such a fascinating guy, but he was also one for kind of rhetoric, and he did have a really colorful, sometimes exaggerated way of explaining things. And just because we can't comprehensively explain the origins of the universe, that doesn't mean that everything else from that point forward is the result of magic, or that you know everything is the stuff of magic and doesn't conform to scientific law or predictability or whatever. In a poetic sense, and I always talk about you know, the joy of standing in awe of the, the beauty of nature, the wonder of it all. Yeah, in a poetic sense, it it is like magic. But I think for, you know, you have to be careful how you use that language because people like Piers Morgan are going to take the jump to, you know, the, the conclusion that God done did it, that there, there must have literally been some magical man in the sky behind all of it. And I know I'm being a little glib or facetious there, you know, invoking the kind of Sky Daddy meme or whatever, but you get my point. And I also think that kind of thinking can also breed animosity towards science. You can even see the way that Joe's speaking there. You know, none of us know for sure it's all magic, which implies there's a magician behind it, you know what I mean? I get it. It's fun to think and talk about it that way. And it really, I mean, like I was saying earlier, when I was trying to be cautious in the other direction, yeah, we we don't know all the answers. We haven't put all the puzzle pieces together. But at the same time, I think it's good to have, and I think Joe does have respect for science, but you want to watch how far you go when you're talking about magic and all this and kind of undervaluing what we do know scientifically. And, you know, there's the implication that if it's magic, that means there's a magician behind it, as I was just saying. So, you know, you got to try to keep everything in context. Okay, but with that, I'm probably going to call this episode a wrap. Thanks for listening, everyone. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to support the show financially, please do, man. I welcome it. Become a Patreon supporter. Uh, <laughs> you can also use the uh, the PayPal widget at the bottom of the, the uh, Podbean page. There's that alliteration again. Uh, all right, brothers and sisters, until next week.